This podcast is brought to you by GuestLogix, the leading global provider of ancillary-focused merchandising, payment, and business intelligence technology to the airline industry. To learn how GuestLogix can elevate your ancillary revenue potential, visit www.guestlogix.com. Exactly two years ago today, American Airlines and U.S. Airways became one company financially. But operationally, that was another story. The merged airline had to get through all kinds of integration issues, including a reservation system migration, which almost never goes smoothly. Except this time it did. American is indeed now one big profitable company. It can be proud of that, but it can't relax. New challenges lurk, including how cheap fuel, which should be a dream come true, has led to some tough competitive battles from all along the airline spectrum. Airline Weekly's own Seth Kaplan is in Fort Worth with the CEO of the world's biggest airline, to discuss some of American's challenges and successes, and its announcement this morning that it will become the first U.S. airline to offer a true long-haul premium economy product. It's Doug Parker coming up right now on the Airline Weekly Lounge. Happy merger anniversary. Thank you very much. We're excited about it. Yeah. Well, I want to start with a question that I, I was I was going to ask you, a question that's now become woefully obsolete, uh, but at the same time more interesting as of a few moments ago. I, I was going to ask you, you know, with, with Delta having just recently announced they're going to begin selling their Comfort Plus product, what they call it, their, their extra legroom economy product, kind of similar to your main cabin extra, as a separate cabin rather than just as, as sort of preferred seats. I was going to say, Doug, uh, you, you know, are, are, are you considering matching or who knows, maybe even leapfrogging that with, with a true long-haul premium economy product, something similar to what your joint venture partners, British Airways, Japan Airlines, Qantas have? And it, it turns out, we find out this morning, that, yeah, the thought had crossed your mind. <laughs> Indeed it had. Uh, and we, we, yeah, we announced this morning that we, were, we plan to launch a premium economy uh, product, um, much like what we've seen in, at our partners, such as British Airways and JALA. Uh, and we're excited about that. Yeah. And it, w- was that the inspiration? Was it something, you know, obviously you have immunity to, I mean, you're, you're selling those those tickets, for example. Uh, is, is that something that you became more comfortable with after, just basically after you got into these ventures with these airlines and, and saw the returns? Was, was, was that the inspiration? Yeah. yeah, uh, um, yeah the data helps. Um, what we've seen is that uh, there's, there's customer demand for that product. I mean, the fact of the matter is, as, as airlines like American have, have made the business class product so nice, um, you know, fully live flat seats, um, and you know everything that comes with it. Uh, it's it, there's there's become such a distinction between that business class and economy that um, you know main cabin extra is one way to get a you know just some more room. But there's 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 uh, as we've seen in our partners, there appears to be customer demand uh, for something in between those two uh, products. And you know, customers who would like more choice. So, uh, you know, as you know, this this um, premium economy is is similar to like a domestic first class service. So it's not full life flat seats, but you know, very nice seats, big seats, lots of room. Um, and it's something that again, we yeah, we have seen uh, is working well at our partners, uh, and something therefore that we know our customers are going to enjoy as well. 
pretty incredible when you think back to you know just a few years ago, you running U.S. Airways. Uh, you know, anytime somebody would ask you or your president Scott Kirby about uh, something like that, you know, various kinds of product upgrades, uh, you know, we would almost lose count of, of how many times you would say things like, you know. Uh, that's not who we are. That's not in our DNA. And I'm talking even about like an extra legroom economy product, you know, a, 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 uh, you know, what you now have, a main cabin extra. Uh, and, and what I think is interesting about that is that it sort of speaks to how you are now running, of course, a very different airline, a much more complex airline. Uh, back then, you were running an airline where you, and I mean, this is my words, but I think you'd probably agree with this, you didn't want to over-improve the product. You know, there was a revenue ceiling. You were only ever going to get so much, and you didn't want to spend something that wasn't commensurate with with what you could get. Uh, you know, frankly, mm-hmm. somebody uh, flying from Charlotte to Philly, drinking wine in a plastic cup in first class, could think whatever they wanted about that, but they were probably going to fly you again next week. Now you're running an airline where those people still exist, those markets still exist, but you're in hyper-competitive transcontinental markets. You, you know, you're, you're in a battle in Chicago against United and, and less directly Southwest. Can you talk about uh, the challenge of optimizing now for very different kinds of markets? You know, not over-delivering in markets where you don't have to, but you know, making sure you are giving people what they, what they are willing to pay for somewhere else. Yeah, look, I think this is what we um, just speculated was going to happen when we talked about consolidation. Uh, it's still intensely competitive, and now the competition is much more on the product than just where you fly. When there were, you know, seven hub-and-spoke carriers flying around, uh, none of whom could really take you everywhere you wanted to go, um, it was it was hard to um, convince yourself that it made a lot of sense to to really compete on product attributes alone because the real product there was, you know, who can fly me, you know, from the in the markets I want to fly. Uh, now we have, you know, three global hub and spoke carriers who can do very much the same thing, pretty much fly you anywhere between our partners. And, you know, consumers win in that environment. And what the consumers now get is, is a lot of competition um, with the product. And we're, you know, we're seeing that. We think it's, again, I think what we, what we said was going to happen. It didn't, make, it didn't make as much sense in the old world. It makes all the sense today uh, because we're, because those are, those are, premium customers who um, who pay you know who pay for a certain level of service and we need to provide that level of service the recent reservation system cut over uh, you know you and your your team had, had briefed us in the media about you know what you were doing to avoid uh, the, the kinds of things that have happened in the past at airlines I mean, including to yourself when you were merging the systems from uh, US Airways and America West I mean that was a mess more often than not it has been a mess uh, when your team, when Bev Goulet and Maya Liebman are, are telling you, hey, hey, Doug, uh, we've, we've got this. This is going to go okay. You, you are thinking what back then? I'm thinking I want to believe you. Um, <laughs> but, you know, I've, I'm scarred. And I told them that all the time. It's like, look, I, I've got scars that you guys, you know, just need to understand. So, um, you know, look, they, they, what I knew was every question I ask, um, every – um, scar I brought up, every memory I brought up, they had the right answers for. So by the time it was getting, it was, it was, you know, cutover was coming, uh, the team was so ready. And so, you know, I don't think any of us um, knew for certain it was going to go as well as it did. But what we knew was whatever happened, we were, we were going to be able to get addressed pretty quickly because the team had just done so much work and so much analysis and so much preparation uh, to ensure that we had thought about 
pretty much everything that could go wrong. Some of us had lived through things that had gone wrong. We knew we weren't, we weren't going to make those same mistakes. But having said all that, it was still a wonderful surprise to see how exceptionally well it went to have uh, cut over to a new reservation system and see virtually no customer disruption. Indeed, one of the better days we've run as an airline this year because uh, the team was so well prepared. So, yeah, it's uh, it, it's really nice thing to have behind us. It's a great indication of the team we've built and how well they're working together. And uh, you know, particularly, particularly a project like that, which is cross-functional, which is hard for big organizations to manage sometimes because it takes a lot of leaders and requires those leaders to be uh, selfless. And we, we had some people that were willing to do that, and it made a huge difference. Yeah. So uh, you've joined really a, a very short list of airlines who have managed to do that smoothly. Uh, you know, Delta w- would also be uh, atop that list. They, uh, they, they did it well uh, when they were putting the Delta Northwest systems together. Um, their operation now is, 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 you know, is, is really at the top of the industry. I mean, they're putting up numbers that, you know, uh, I mean, you know, half the days of the year that they don't cancel a, a, a single mainline flight. Um, so that's, uh, of course, where, where you would like to get them. I mean, you have, you know, uh, Bob Isom, who's as well regarded in the industry as, as anybody uh, and, and, and other folks working on that. But those numbers that Delta is putting up, can you get there or is there just something structural about Delta? I don't know, the mostly non-union workforce or, or something else that just makes it possible for them to do it and not for American? Nope, there's nothing structural at all. Uh, it's just a matter of us, you know, look, we, we ran two airlines for the last two years. And we did so running a really good operation, uh, thanks to Robert and his team, who have just who have, who have really done a phenomenal job. And, and the numbers we put up uh, while running we're running two separate airlines, uh, we're extremely proud of. And now that we have most of that behind us, we still have some operational work to go, of course, um, but uh, and some integration work to go. But most of the most of the integration, at least the customer facing integration behind us. Yeah, you know, sets us free to really start making some, some even bigger improvements, so, and we intend to. Yeah, when when you and and your team, at least the ones who came from from Tempe over here, got here, uh, I mean, you know, well documented, of course, the cultural changes and people taking off their neckties and the rest of that, and and more substantive changes too, the more uh, dynamic scheduling, you know, day of week and seasonal, and, and and some of those things that have worked well. On the other hand, is there anything that um, you and Scott were maybe skeptical of uh, you know, at the beginning, where you came and you know? didn't really you know thought it was maybe something you were going to change and then when you got here were surprised at how well it's gone I'll, I'll give you an example by the way i remember when when uh uh united and continental merged and you had a you know mostly continental senior management team the former management team there now uh which went up there and you could tell they were skeptical about economy plus we were talking a minute ago about the extra legroom product they got there and to their credit they said wait a second this this is working and of course now it's something that's that's really ubiquitous in the industry is there anything like that at american where you had your doubts and it was just kind of going well there were there were a number of things yeah and that's what's what i think good management's supposed to do is not go in with foregone conclusions and decide that's the right answer but rather actually go and learn um the one that comes to mind is the you know the the A three twenty one Transcom product, um, which again from the outside looking in and knowing this industry pretty well and knowing what um, you know generally what happens when you take a lot of seats off an airplane. Um, I know we had some skepticism as to whether or not that was that was a product we would have put in place if we were at American. Having said that, once we got here and saw the product um, and. Um, saw the results it clearly makes sense i mean it's, it doesn't make sense in a lot of markets but in the transcon markets you know jfk to la uh that product does extremely well and it was, it was a really good decision but one that we wouldn't have known from the outside 
um, really the, the true you know, kind of yield differential you can get by putting that kind of product into that type of market. When, when we look at the joint ventures you have around the world, uh, you know, obviously the key one with, with IAG, you know, British Airways in, in, in Iberia to Europe, Japan Airlines across the North Pacific, Qantas across the South Pacific, they call you their most important uh, joint venture partner. Uh, the, the, the obvious hole in that map right now is, is to South America. Uh, where uh, you have actually some antitrust immunity. I'm not sure. I guess the first question is, could, could you do something yet to Brazil, or do we have to wait for full open skies? And then more broadly, uh, is, is that something that's perhaps on the horizon? And, and it's especially an important question in the context of just what's going on down there. You're in a tougher, tougher environment. You could imagine mm-hmm. consolidation of that sort perhaps making sense. Yeah, look, we um, it, it is it's a difficult environment right now, but it's just, it's you know it'll come back. It's it's a uh, cyclical. Um, downturn at this point and one can only imagine that it'll come back at some point in time it's an extremely important part of the world for american airlines always will be uh, we have a great partner down th- down in that region right now in latam uh, whether or not we can make that partnership stronger over time is something we'll we, you know we'll, we'll we'll continue to look at because both of us enjoy a great relationship with each other but nothing nothing that we're you know that nothing that's eminent at this point in time you at uh, U.S. Airways back in 2009 uh, sort of threw up your hands on, on jet fuel hedging and, and uh, decided you weren't in that business. Uh, and, and you and Scott said back then uh, that you uh, would, you know, when, when jet fuel dropped in price, you would come out way ahead doing that. When jet fuel was stable in price, you would come out ahead because you weren't spending money on hedges. And when it rose, you would, you know, perhaps spend a little more on fuel than other people. But, uh, but, you know, you'd lose far much then than you gained doing every, you know, the rest of the time during the cycle. Well, we've been through a whole cycle now since then, and that, I mean, it's it's largely been vindicated in the sense that you know, yeah, you probably saved billions of dollars by not by not hedging. But you know, there are people now who are going to look at this and say, "Come on, Doug. Okay, you 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 won the bet." cash in your chips, leave the casino. You have an opportunity now to secure your future, go out and, and you know, basically purchase cheap jet fuel for the next decade like Southwest did back in the late 1990s. You say to those people what? Um, well, one, is, one, I'm not sure that's true. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, indeed, the ability to, fu- to, to purchase in the future is going to be at higher rates than exist in the market today. Um, you can't, you know, the forward curve is upward, in, is upward sloping. Um, there's a you know there's a, there's a cost one has to pay in order just to put the, the transactions in place, and you know given the size of this airline, the amount that we have to purchase, uh, that we would really have to purchase to actually make a, a large hedge, is you know one could you know, is is just so big um, that it's that it's that it's hard to um, really make to really to really put in place a meaningful hedge. Um, so uh, it, it's we all know that you know where prices are today look low, but they, they, you know, prices where they were a month ago looked low, and now we'd we'd be kicking ourselves had we hedged a month ago. So, um, we 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 think the right thing to do in general. We can always we always revisit and, and uh, revisit our thoughts on things like this. But you know what's worked for us so far is uh, just not taking speculative positions on fuel and. Um, believe we have an industry now that, for the most part, um, you know, when fuel prices rise, responds now uh, with higher fares. When fuel prices fall, you see what you're seeing today, which is lower fares. Um, and the um, and, and the economics of hedging just we haven't we haven't 
um, gotten to a point that we think that makes sense. And what's interesting is that United and Delta recently seem to have been pulling back somewhat on hedging. So how does that net out for you? If, if you know, your competitors do less of it is, I mean, I, I guess on one hand, you lose some of your advantage over them. It, you know, if in fact it does end up being an advantage as it has been for the past several years. But on the other hand, you have other airlines that are, that sort of face the same forces that you do, that if fuel were to spike would be just as pressured as you would be to, you know, look at capacity and the rest of it. How, 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 how should we look at that on a, on a net basis? Uh, I think you should look at it on an individual carrier basis. We don't particularly care what they do. Uh, we try and do what's best for us, and we don't, we don't, we don't try and game theory this and try and figure out what someone else is going to do. We just we, we do what we think is best for American, and, and that's so far we've been very happy with our strategy as it relates to fuel hedging. Yeah. Delta uh, recently has has in some ways kind of been distancing themselves uh, from the industry. I mean, they're they're leaving Airlines for America, the industry lobby. Uh, they've ended their interline with you and sort of made some comments on the way out about, about your operation and so forth. Um, is is there, and, you know, I mean, look, they're running a good airline. Obviously, it's a free country. It's a right to do that. Is there any risk in, 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 in what they're doing? Uh, you in their shoes, would, would you take those steps? Oh, I don't, I don't know. It's impossible for me to say I'm not in their <laughs> shoes. Um, you know, we, we, we at American um, are really happy with where we are at this point in time and are pleased with the progress we're making. We don't, we don't spend a lot of time trying to figure out what other people are trying to think about what, about what makes sense for their airlines. Uh, we're really happy with our, with, you know, with our position um, in A4A and um, with our position as, you know, as an industry leader in, in a number of areas and I'm really, really happy with the progress we're making. Yeah. Um, two of, of their partners who are now your mutual partners, you know, one sort of a long-time partner, Alaska, and one a, a newer one, Korea. And I want to ask you about that. First of all, Alaska, uh, I, I know both you and Alaska had said before your res integration that there would be some new opportunities after that. I mean, just by default, now U.S. Airways can, can code share with them. Uh, and do you see that continuing down that path where, where there's maybe more to come with Alaska? Yeah, we hope so. They're great partners, uh, and we enjoy the partnership. Um, I think they're enjoying the partnership with us. They, you know, they're having to extract themselves from a um, from a um, relationship they had with Delta, and uh, you know, and, and they're they're doing that gradually over time. I, I believe what we'll see happen is, you know, as they extract themselves more from Delta, they get we get a stronger and stronger relationship between American and and Alaska. But you know, still to see. Yeah, and, and Korean kind of interesting because uh, you know they're another one where Delta and, and they have you know, by all appearances sort of had 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 their issues. Uh, I mean, to be clear, JAL is is the far more important you know partner right. there, joint venture partner there. But uh, but you know you're you're now code sharing with Korean they and Sky Team you and One World. Is, is there something more to read into that? Oh, I wouldn't make a big read of that. I think it's a tactical a tactical issue um, where it made sense for Korean um, who you know was. I, I, Anyway, I, I think they wanted to have the benefit of the American network uh, on their on their flights, and um, it, it it benefited us at American as well. And um, we were able to, we, were, we were able to do that through our one world um, alliance. Actually, have some tactical issue have tactical relationships like this. So we we were pleased uh, to have it put in place. And I know, and I know Korean as well it as well. Yeah, and while we're talking about Asia, Haneda. Now, of course, you're going to be flying there from yeah. uh, also sort of a, a, a Delta-related issue there. But anyway, you ended up with the slots for uh, LAX Haneda. Any early read on demand for for uh, for that market? Oh no, nothing, nothing yet. Um, although we, you know, we were we're pleased to have the route, um, and uh, you know, 
looking forward to see it actually get moved to you know, hopefully some better timing as our as our U.S. government works with the Japanese to figure out ways to actually have those those Haneda slots um, at better times. And we think we'll do extremely well in that route. Yeah. Um, you know, on one hand, obviously, they are a competitive threat. They compete for, uh, you know, for certain traffic flows. You know, somebody who's flying to India who might take BA and, and you on a joint itinerary might instead take one of those uh, and, and so forth. You have the Fifth Freedom flights. I mean, right now, just Milan, JFK on Emirates. But, you know, who knows what else could come on in the future? Lots of threats. On the other hand, you, you have, you know, Qatar Airways in, 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 in one world, uh, which owns 10 percent of your joint venture partner in, in Europe, which is, seems very sanguine about, about that sort of thing. You have them flying into your hubs and, and uh, you know, trading traffic with them. So how, how, how does this all net out uh, for American right now? How, how do you view at the moment? Because I know your thoughts over the years have evolved. Yeah. How, how do you view the Gulf carriers? Oh well, net net, it's it's definitely not it's not a positive for America. We we have coaching relationships in place with those with those carriers, largely because we can't compete against them on a nonstop basis because they're subsidized and we're not. Uh, but it's not you know we don't think it's right for our customers to not be able to get to that part of the world. Um, so we we have code sharing arrangements in place to help get our customers who we want to be able to provide service to all parts of the globe. Uh, service into that region because we we can't afford it we can't possibly compete against airlines that have that level of subsidization so it's a huge problem um they are uh, we have proven uh that there are enormous subsidies that have been given to those carriers that allow them to fly routes um that that make no sense on a on a you know standard profitability basis um and you know while we can compete with any carrier in the world we can't compete with countries and, um, you know, it's, this is not – and you can see it today, as you just noted, in flights from the United States to India. There's one <laughs> U.S. carrier flying from the entire United States uh, to the entire country of India um, because all that service now flows over the Middle East on subsidized airlines. Um, and that's just – you know, that's, that's a problem. Um, but if you take that problem to its to its next level, and those carriers are allowed to do things like fly from you know as they're doing today, fly JFK Milan and take that you know to its logical conclusion, given all the aircraft they have coming, eventually you know the the ability to fly for U.S. airlines to fly internationally um, profitably um, is going to go away. Once that happens, then the ability to fly domestically goes away because we feed a lot of people on international flights. It's an enormous threat to U.S. commercial aviation. We've made that case to our government. Um, we can't, like I say, can't compete with governments. We need our government to uh, enforce its trade agreements, and we're looking forward to hearing what they come up with. The order book that you inherited from the previous management team, obviously uh, you know, all kinds of new aircraft coming into the fleet uh, by, by the scores, um, with fuel prices now down, it, does that become less of an advantage than it than it would have once been? You know, just because an MD eighty isn't you know as, as much of a problem today as, as as it would have been a few years ago. Well, we think it's a huge advantage. I think it's a product advantage. Um, I mean, you can just see it if you happen. You know, we still ha- we still do have some MD eighties in the fleet. They are going away, but we still have some. Um, and as you fly, if you, if you happen to get your if you happen to fly a route on one of those and you connect onto one of our new A three twenties or seven thirty sevens, it is a different product. Um, and there's no amount of investment you can make inside the cabin of that airplane to make it feel like a brand new airplane. Um, and it's a huge advantage to us in a world where where the product does matter a lot more. Uh, we think this is a we think this will be become a bigger and bigger advantage as our, as our competitors haven't been doing what we've been doing, and um, we're, we we are you know we're, we're bringing down the average age of our aircraft every year, which is a hard thing to do with an airline this big. But we're taking out 
you know, about one airplane every four days and replacing it with a brand new airplane. It's just there's it's nothing ever been done like this in terms of modernization of, of a uh, of, of a fleet in the history of commercial aviation. Um, so it's uh, it's a it's a, it's this while it, while it may have one point been justified on on fuel costs, um, I'm certain it still makes sense on simply a fuel cost basis. But more importantly, on a product basis, it's a huge advantage. Yeah. Advantage, uh, the loyalty program, of course, loyalty programs were invented right here at, at, at American uh, right. more than three decades ago. Um, you recently matched the changes at, at Delta and United. No big surprise there, uh, you know, shifting more to, toward a uh, revenue-based accrual uh, system. Did you have any thought of not doing that? You know, when you're doing the analysis, was there any st- you sort of here had, as with the res cutover and so many other things, you kind of had the last mover advantage of just being able to look first. Did, was, was there a chance that you weren't going to do that, or, or, or was it almost preordained? Well, I mean, look, we, we, we had a lot of discussion about it, and so certainly to say we didn't think about it would be inaccurate. But the fact of the matter is um, the programs have evolved in that direction because they make more sense in that direction. Uh, I don't, you know, it's, it's um, the customers that, um, are, that, that we most want to reward uh, the, and the behavior we most want to reward is those who uh, pay the most for their tickets, not those who happen to fly the most miles. We, we, we like them. We, we like all of our customers, of course. Uh, but when it comes to who actually gets, you know, the most um, miles for their ticket, as it would be in, you know, in any other business, uh, it's those who are willing to pay um, more when they travel as opposed to those who can figure out ways to pay less and travel more. So um, it, it, it makes it's totally logical. I don't, know, I don't know that any of us knows for certain why it was initially developed as a miles system, um, because it certainly makes a lot more sense to be revenue based in terms of rewarding customers for their loyalty. Yeah, and of course, one thing that's changed with those programs over the decades is that they went from being a cost center that was just sort of a way to you know keep people loyal to a to a huge profit center uh, in, in their own right. I mean, at some point, you know, now of course. The airline is profitable, but a decade yeah. ago, sometimes the programs were the only thing profitable about uh, airlines in, in, in America. Um, so when you make these changes, do you sort of have to think about um, being careful not to kill the golden goose in terms of the customers who are out there who do feel loyal but don't fly all that frequently and might might say, you know what, this isn't worth it anymore. I don't need this credit card anymore and that sort of thing. Is, is that is that always a consideration or is it just that the opportunity cost of a quote-unquote free seed and of an upgrade and all those things is, is just so high now that you just have to do what you're doing? Yeah, I mean, of course we, are, we, we want – very much to reward loyalty in our customers. Again, it's just a matter of how you know how best to do that. Um, and we, we we think we have the best program in the world uh, for loyal customers: those who pay the most, those who fly the most. Um, and that's always going to be our goal. You're right; the Advantage program was the first of these. We think it's the best still, and um, we expect to keep it that way. But again, you know, programs evolve. I think it's now evolved into something that's better than um, than it was before. It's different, and change you know affects different people in different ways. Um, so we had some customers disappointed, some customers who were excited about the changes. Um, but you know, our our goal is to make sure we're doing everything we can um, for all of our customers, and 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 ensuring that we're competitive, um, which we certainly are in this case. And of course, one reason the programs themselves are so profitable is, is the uh, you know, all the mileage sales to all your various partners, and, and the co-branded credit cards are, are typically, for most airlines, the, the, the most important ones. We've seen some of the other airlines um, 
redo their, well, either in the case of JetBlue, actually switch their credit card partner, others um, just getting, by all appearances, better deals out of you know, mm-hmm. Delta with American Express. And, and uh, uh, actually, most recently, just last week, uh, Alaska with, with, with Bank of America. Where are you in the cycle? And I'm asking you because it seems like a pretty big opportunity. You kind of extrapolate from what they're, I mean, it looks like, a, I don't know, a half billion dollar opportunity for you. Where are you in the cycle with, with all that? Uh, we have a relationship in place, uh, a couple of relationships actually still in place with both City and Barclays, and uh, they they come up for renewal sometime, I don't know exactly when to tell you the truth, but enough close enough that we are you know, beginning talks and looking to see if there's not something we can do on a longer-term basis with, with whoever makes the most sense. Uh, this market, the the, the Metroplex, uh, obviously has become much more competitive. Uh, you have the spirit buildup, which which, uh, which largely finished a couple of years ago. They're just sort of uh, flat right now. But of course, now post right amendment, uh, uh, what Southwest is able to do over at Dallas Love Field for 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 listeners who don't know, able to fly nonstop from Love Field to anywhere in the country, um, that has obviously uh, put pressure on 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 your affairs. Um, is that a structural shift in Dallas Fort Worth that it, that this place is just never going to quite be what it was before, or can that somehow shake out in a way where it's where it's fine? Well, it's certainly fine. Uh, we do really well in Dallas Fort Worth, and we'll always do really well in Dallas Fort Worth. It's our largest hub. Um, it's and it's you know it's our home, uh, and it's a where you know American will always be the largest carrier by a wide margin so it's certainly fine um, and you know and look and that's you know that that uh, as we as we did the merger we were all well aware that Southwest was going to be able to expand and the right amount was going away and um, you know so the, the impact has been much what we expected it's certainly you know that, that 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 fight was fought by people before us long ago and you know it's there's not there's not worth um, you know complaining about or anything else just knowing that it's there and that we have to uh compete now on more non-stop routes than american had to in the past uh against a good competitor southwest out of a different airport and it's it's so yeah it's certainly all else equal uh it certainly has a negative impact on the profitability to american of dallas fort worth but it's still a fantastic hub for us and one that we're going to be in forever how do you see Chicago evolving? Another interesting one because you really have that. I mean, you're, you're very much head-to-head there as really in no other giant market against United. And then you've got Southwest with, with I mean, you might not call it a hub, but uh, I, don't, I don't know what 200 flights a day at uh, Midway is with, with people flowing through there. Um, so, yeah, just, just that situation there. Obviously not a place where anybody's probably ever going to make outsized uh, margins, but, but we're, we're just – yeah, I mean, like yeah. Chicago. Yeah, I mean, you described it well. It's a different situation than Dallas Fort Worth, of course. I mean, there's there are two of us uh, with large hub operations in the same airport at O'Hare. Um, it's an extremely important part, a market to American. Uh, one again that we will be in forever. Um, it's where you know where American uh, does well. I expect we'll always do well, but um, we have a, we have another very big competitor there in United, who's you know, actually slightly larger than us. So. Uh, it's something we'd like to see over time get rectified, as you know, and we get ourselves even more competitive than, with United than we are today. Uh, but that's, I, I, I suspect that will always be the case. That uh, O'Hare will be a nice big hub for both United and American. Sixteen months ago, oil's hovering still around a hundred dollars a barrel. If, if I had told you, as CEO of Unhedged American, then that uh, we'd be sitting here at the end of 2015 with oil. Below forty, you know, jet fuel under a under a buck fifty a gallon. Uh, that the U.S. economy, unlike the last time fuel would cheap was cheap, uh, you know, would, would be reasonably healthy, and that you would have anything to worry about. <laughs> We'd be talking <laughs> about revenue pressures. That you, know, that you would be doing anything other than dancing in the end zone. Would that have surprised you? Well, 
Well, I, I, would, I think I would have told you then. It's the airline business. Of course, we'll have something to worry about. I can't. It may not be the, the kind of things we worry about in the past, but sure, we'll have things to worry about, which was turned out to be the case. I mean, look, oil prices uh, falling as they have, as the economy has, has remained relatively strong. You're right. It's, is a is a boon to airline profitability. Now we're it it, it doesn't um, we don't get all of it. Of course, prices are fall are, have fallen because capacities come in um, in a number of areas, um, well in excess of demand. So we've seen lower prices, but you know the prices haven't fallen as fast as, as fuel prices have fallen. That's 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 that that helps airline profitability. Yeah. Uh, now that you have been running the world's biggest airline for, for two years. We talked earlier, you know, not only bigger, but just very different, you know, and obviously a more globally oriented airline. You, know, you ran the IATA the annual general meeting uh, this year, that sort of thing. Anything that surprised you as you've had sort of more global exposure than you had had in the past about this industry? Anything that's, that, that you've learned that might surprise our listeners that, that you didn't know even two years ago, even as the CEO of a rather big airline? <laughs> Well, it, it may not surprise our listeners because they, at least all of them, um, to the extent they they were traveling around more than I was apparently on um, non-U.S. carriers. <laughs> um, but it, I'll, I'll tell you, you know, coming into America and, and meeting with our partners at you know British Airways and Qantas and JAL, uh, and hearing from them right away, look, you know, your product is not up to the standards uh, that we have for our customers was somewhat surprising, you know, coming from U.S. Airways, you know, American's product was, you know, certainly one that, you know, we would have viewed as international, you know, as competitive um, for international flights. But learning, you know, from our partners that, that you know, they, they weren't that comfortable putting their customers onto our international flights um, was somewhat of a surprise. And, and a lot of what you're seeing from, from the new American, uh, that's why we've made the huge investments we've made. We, we understand that that's, that's who we are. We're an international global carrier. We need, to be able to, we need to be able to compete in that for that same business and for those premium traffic. We've seen the results that those carriers get when they do it right. So that's why we have put in live flat seats throughout our international campus. That's why we are investing um, so much in improving you know, our admirals clubs to be kind of the international standard in, in our big hub, ga- in our big gateways. Um, that's why we're putting Wi-Fi. Um, one of the first carriers to put Wi-Fi on international on international travel. So um, that was, yeah. Again, I, like I say, you know, when I when I say it now, I'm sure some people are saying, "Well, how could he have not known that?" But it was it, that was that was eye opening um, to to really under to to, to have your partners say, "Look, this your product's not where it needs to be." They're not saying it anymore. Uh, it was it was. I, I had the pleasure of being down in Australia, showing off our our triple seven. 300 down there and uh you know it's it's a world-class product and one that we're really proud of and as we keep moving forward you're just going to see more and more of that from american and there you said in the answer you said that is who we are no more no more that's not who we are right. <laughs> now it's now it now it is who you are you, you started your career at, at this airline as a financial analyst um you know, when this airline was busy, as I said, inventing loyalty programs and really inventing revenue management science, it had invented uh, computerized reservation systems. Uh, you know, run by Bob Crandall, who probably, I assume, didn't know who you were uh, early on. Oh, he, he, I was in a few meetings with him. <laughs> he probably didn't know who I was. He knows me did, now. <laughs> did you, at any moment back then, uh, even briefly, think, dream about uh, being in this position today? Um, no, that, that was never the objective. You know, the, the objective, it looked for me, has always been, you know, just, you know, do my job, try and do it well. Got to a point at, uh, you know, at America West where that we're doing my job well. What it really meant was um, doing everything I could to ensure that some really great, hardworking people uh, were able to keep their jobs because the airline didn't go away. 
And that same motivation then kicked in as we got U.S. Airways America West done, and U.S. Airways all of a sudden was seemed to be constantly in trouble. So that was a great motivator, uh, working to figure out how indeed to make sure that those air, that those, that those hardworking people, we got them to a safe harbor, uh, a place where they knew that, you know, as long as they kept showing up and doing their jobs well, which they all did, uh, they didn't need to worry about whether the company was there for them or not. Um, and that, uh, so we've done that. I feel really, really good about that. I feel good about the fact that, that, that all those people that were ex-America West, ex-U.S. Airways, we can now look them in the eye and say, look, you don't need to worry about the company being here or not anymore. We got that done. Um, we did it because uh, because of them. I mean, they worked so hard to make to get through all those things. Um, but that, that, that's been the objective, you know, for several, several years now. And it feels really good to have that behind us. Doug, thanks so much for your time. Thank you, Seth. Appreciate it. And thank you, Seth and Doug. I'm Jason Cottrell, reminding you we'll be back next week with our usual format. And if you like this interview, check out episode 16 for an interview with Spirit's Ben Baldanza. More CEO conversations will be happening in 2016. And as always, you can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes or on the Airline Weekly website. Until next week, 